Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking. Ain't a fucking. Mom! Lower it. I'm not gonna lower it. I have to do this now. I don't want you to play it, but lower it. We get straight now? No, we had a problem. I mean, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Nice. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah! The whole world got crazy! Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Oh, John. Our friend Walter, he's in full throat this morning. What is going on with that fella? Man, I echo his sentiments. What is going on, man? The, the news is, it's on its ear. I tell you, man, social media is really just insanely divided and tense and... Oh, I can't take it, man. I can't either, man. It's uh, I know we've mentioned it before on the show, but I'm telling you, if, if I didn't have to be on social media to you know, help promote the show and let people know that we got new products and things coming up, man, I would, I would be off social media in a heartbeat. I'm kind of defiant with it because I love social media in, in that you know, sharing things with friends, I reconnected with a bunch of people, my family gets to see what's going on. And so I'm as annoying as it is, I'm not gonna quit. So there. <laughs> the warning Wait a minute. You weren't talking about social media really, were you? Man, I was talking about the Todd Zuckerman debacle. Oh. Now it you you want to talk about being annoyed. That's what I thought now. I thought that's what everybody was talking about. Well, they are on social media, but I thought you were just talking about some other subject matter. No, I don't pay attention to that crap. Oh, good, man. Well, listen, we're on the same page on not only not paying attention to that crap, but this Todd thing is out of control, man. Are are you the or, or am I the only one that's surprised that this has not happened before? Yes. Litigation seems to be like, the all-American obsession. So it is shocking. I mean, isn't there people like that get smashed in the head with guitars? Well, in our circle of friends and in our business, this is the equivalent of the hot coffee McDonald's lawsuit. That's a good. That's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I heard this story. I was thinking like. It made me kind of cringe. You know, like when you almost get in an accident for like three days, it kind of haunts you and you shudder and you know sweat. I was thinking like you know like just about every wedding I play, I throw a stick out there hoping a you know just miserably lonely bridesmaid's gonna grab it and you know come talk to me. I mean, wait, no, I don't do that. I thought you were gonna say hoping that they would Kidding, actually. Honey, I thought you were saying they were hoping that they would sue you so you could get out of that business. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, now I'm going to throw four at a time. <laughs> That's a great plan. For, for the folks who have their head buried in the sand, let's give you a little background on what we're talking about. Uh, Todd Zuckerman is the, the drummer for Styx, the legendary classic rock band based out of Chicago. and uh, Or probably L.A. Now. It seems to be yeah. the... Yeah. Chicago's based in L.A. <laughs> they moved the whole city there due to the violence, right? <laughs> yeah. We're out of here. We foresee problems. Yeah. Uh, but he did a gig here in Atlanta. It was actually almost two years ago, is really? my understanding, is when wow. this happened. And he did he he did the, the big league rock and roll thing, tossed the drumstick out in the audience, hit a lady in the gob right in the face, and she is suing him for lost work, uh, emotional emotional distress, distress yeah, uh, and then the whole medical bills and I, all that I other think stuff. The promoter as well. Yes. Yeah. The uh, promoter and actually the company, like the the uh, management, I believe, of Sticks at that time. So it's Todd, the management, and I believe the promotion as well. Lame. That's yeah. a money grab. It is straight up a money grab, man. You know, if you're not maimed. Don't, Zip it. Don't give me ideas. You got to rock out to Mr. Roboto, <laughs> and I'm thinking Sail Away, which are just so... Wait, I'm, I'm going to... let's. I'm going to do the listening audience a solid here. You brought up Mr. Roboto. If you guys want to get a good old-fashioned gut-busting going on, do yourself a, a solid. Go on YouTube. And find that clip of Styx doing the pseudo musical theater skits uh, of like Mr. Roboto oh, in the. Do you know what I'm talking I about? Forgot. Yeah, like yeah. Dennis was like way into the Broadway thing. Way into it. And they actually did these skits on oh. stage for Mr. for the during the Mr. Roboto time. This would have been in the, the early to mid 80s. And they were performing these skits at like straight up large rock festivals where there were other you know hard rock and and metal bands on the bill and the, <laughs> yeah, yeah okay yeah so you see where this is going and so they were doing the skits man and people were booing them off the stage and throwing things on the stage oh, and, and that that's when tommy shaw pretty much had had enough at that time and, and drew the line in the sand. And it's like, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> he did it a, a 180 yeah. and started playing with Ted Nugent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think Ted Nugent was on some of those bills, man, where that happened. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Taking pot shots with his, you know, machine guns at him while they're Sh doing this. Shooting flaming arrows across the stage, you know? But yeah, do, do yourself a solid and try to find that on YouTube uh, because I, I haven't seen it in a couple of years and you just kind of made me think about it when you said the Mr. Roboto uh, mm. stuff. Oh, it's good stuff, man. Well, yeah. well, look, man, I'll, it's easy to kind of give sticks the grief about <laughs> many things, but I've never met Todd, but I know plenty of people who have, and there's not a crossword to be said about this fella you know everybody says he's just a stand-up guy nice as can be ridiculously talented mm -hmm. and you know this is just pitiful that this is happening i mean i, I would feel differently if someone lost their eye or yeah. you know but i mean 
it's just I, I'm pretty sure this lady, and I mean she'll probably sue me now, but she's probably the one that parks in like, you know, handicap spots and you know. To to speak to your point about tied the being- Atlanta suburban woman who everything's more important regarding her than anyone else. I mean, I don't, I'm not. I'm. That's just a myth, but you know. She might be on one of those TV shows. That's true. But to speak to your point about the Todd Zuckerman being a good guy, uh, man, I used to work with his first cousin, uh, female vocalist here, and she just she had met everyone in the band in Sticks before. But she used to talk about just what a great dude he is and how he was very deserving of getting that gig, you know, and that he just worked really hard, super nice guy, you know. And so, yeah, I think that that speaks volumes as well, that his relatives are, you yeah. know, spoke very highly of him. I hate to see that happen to anyone, but, you know, definitely his undeserving of, of this grief, I think. Well, you know, we're having fun with this and, and bringing it to everybody's attention. But more importantly, the other thing is it's it's worth everyone keeping an eye out on what the resolution of this is going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to the serious aspect of that everybody just keep an eye open on what's going to happen i mean it's i would probably think that there will be some kind of a settlement that will that will happen out of that but you know if if she big leagues them a little bit i mean i don't i don't know that i would want to go up against the attorneys for a large corporate group like that i would say that they could outweigh you and outspend you one would hope yeah in this case typically that annoys me to no end but yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. This this mindset with that sue sue sue, man. It's like, come on, man. You talking about that Gene Krupa thing? You obviously had a three hundred dollars seat, lady. <laughs> you couldn't need the money that bad. You know, John. Now that we've bagged on her, he was probably using three S sticks that got shattered, and you know, there was a sharp end on it, and it probably went straight through her cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. If that's the case, I'm yeah. sorry, but yeah. I kind of doubt it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I think to it see would what be happens. spelled out in these reports if she were maimed in some way. It yeah. would be that would be, you know, so TMZ, man. You got to run with that fact. Yeah, but I would say up until we get some kind of resolution. You folks looking for the drumsticks coming out into the audience, you can bet that ain't going to happen for a while. Or hope it does and make some money. <laughs> Man, I'm suing. I'm going to see Petty <laughs> when they come How to you town. Think and Fer- like, going to come on, chuck Stevie. some sticks. Let me get some of that 80s Clapton money, buddy. <laughs> Hit me right between the eyes. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. No. His, yeah. his, his, good sense of British modesty will not allow that. The English gentleman that hands the sticks to the deserving fan as yeah. opposed to throwing them. Yeah. Dang it. So. Uh, who can I go see that, that would be stupid enough to do it? Chuck one of those sticks out like that? Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you right now who would do it. I'm going to tell you right now who would do it. And I'm pointing the finger at the dude that's playing for Paramore right now. Oh, and I just popped a huge plosive into the microphone. Ooh. Sorry about that. He's going to do it. The... Is he the bastard son of that guy that has a yellow suit that does the crazy over the top? He kind of looks like that. Maybe he's related to that guy. <laughs> he might be. Man, that's funny you brought that up because we we 
a few friends of I, mine and I pointed that video out where he's just wearing it out, and it's like, wow. I'm going to say, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be a guy that's going to bag on somebody giving a, giving a show. Right. But in certain cases, it absolutely affects the feel and the overall musicality of things. I think in that case, that's true. That track was pretty good. That's a good yeah. song, man. Had yeah. a good, that drummer that played on that. It was, there was some subtleties there for sure. Yeah. Anyway, showing our cranky old asses here, man. Like, dead young punk hitting them drums like he's mad at him. What the heck? That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> he's going to be tired one day and sore. Like me. That's not how Buddy would have done it. You're getting to the topic prior to me having the chance to, to lighten the that. mood. I'm such an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I wanted to, I wanted to take just a couple of minutes and do something that we haven't done in. You gonna do months. the Rorschach test on me? No. Hey, man, we don't have enough time, and we don't have enough crying towels to get you through the Rorschach test. Or. Valium. <laughs> <laughs> Something, okay, how about five? <laughs> <laughs> five questions. Uh, Go. Uh, Something we haven't done in months, man, mm -hmm. is we have not mentioned some of our gallant listeners out there who have either sent us, you know, mail or, you know, given us some messages like on our Facebook page or something like that. And I want to do a shout out to everybody to let you know we're not ignoring you or anything like that. But uh, it, it's a it's a little bit of a combination of of wanting to recognize some folks that are listening to the show. Dare I say some of our power listeners, mm -hmm. you know, and then and then also just kind of giving us a little bit of a Stuart Smalley moment where we're looking in the mirror and doing a little self affirmation. Makes sense, man. I'm kind of yeah. like the Michael Jordan of drumming. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's all tying together to me now. I right, see so where you're going with this. I'm going to speak to you, John. The first one comes from, we'll call, he's not local, but he's in the state of Georgia. It's a fellow named Evan. He sent us a very nice quick message uh, on Facebook, and he goes, Hey, guys, I just discovered the show, and you all are awesome. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate I know that, Evan. Man. He is awesome. Oh, too. you do? You know him? I do. Okay. Thank you, Evan. All right. That's a, that's an awesome guy. No 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 doubt about it. Cool. Next one, we got another nice Facebook message from Nico out in Colorado. I don't know him. I don't know Nico either. Uh, but he goes. I'd like to visit him. I think he's in Boulder. Oh, I love Boulder. Did I think I did a little that's bit a, of the like, Fox Theater. I he, love that place. It's it, one of the. Best venues I've ever played. The only place in Colorado I've been, sir, is Denver, so I don't know Boulder. Uh, yeah, I've been around Colorado a lot. It's awesome, especially in August. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nico from Colorado goes, you guys are fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. Right we on. will. Thanks, man. That's what we're doing right now. And then... The last one uh, that I want to bring attention to is Dave from California, and he goes St. Louis by by way of St. Louis because you Sorry. do you know this guy right? Or I mean now I do now you did oh you didn't know him but you just know him because of the emails 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, sort of. We have a lot of mutual friends. Oh, that's cool. And he goes, guys, I'm loving the show. Since discovering it, I've gone back and listened to every show, and it's all great. Thanks for all that you're doing. Right on, Dave. Dave, you rule, man. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, brother. So I'll pay you up. Oh, wait. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll we'll make sure to to try to read a little bit more from time you know from time to time we haven't done that in months yeah trust me it, it's yeah. not overlooked phil's always gushing about how you know positive people are being and it's true we appreciate yeah. it we we do we we try to get back to everybody it, I, occasionally we get these we get emails or messages that slip through the cracks and all of a sudden i'll i'll see one and it's like, oh my God, this guy wrote something six weeks ago, and we just totally stooged him. Well, I deleted so. that one that said, "Get rid of that brain dead loser, John." I deleted that one. So if you didn't get a response, that was my email. Oh, I crap. sent that in. Well, we'll talk about that later. We'll discuss that off mic, right? Yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. Well, John, I'm going to go ahead and get into our topic you kind of scooped it a little bit there at the beginning what uh, i did not I they have no idea what we're going to talk about the i would like to think that our audience can read they at least read the topic well, that's true yeah. so guys what we're going to talk about so you gave it away well all right then. <laughs> let's get on it. note to self write another email to john for him to delete <laughs> uh, the title of this show will be like uh what we think of guitar players <laughs> and then just go off on another subject so they can't figure it out then i went out it's a little bit of like go. gov so. go government tactics for subversiveness <laughs> deflect yeah, yeah so what we're going to talk about today is a, a topic we'll call it the musician businessman versus the musician artist and Anybody who's been in this business for a little while will know kind of what we're talking about here. And what we're going to call the musician artist is he is the the fellow that puts his music and his art above all else, above relationships, above commerce, above anything else. And then we're going to call the music businessman. This is the hustler, John. This is the guy who is all about getting out there, getting seen making some long green in fame and fortune a hypnotist if you will i like that <laughs> that's good yeah and then we're going to kind of tie it all together and we're going to we're going to say that there's a good combination we'll call him the blended musician with that in mind i'm going to say that most of the folks that we know that are the happiest and the most successful are the ones that kind of use that blended sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. And and I like to I would like to think that what I do is very much of that blended mentality also because I, I, I consider this show that we do part of our artistic kind of reach and we ain't making one thin dime on this sucker. Yeah, this is about as close to a jazz gig as I get. <laughs> So I really, I, I'm I'm sowing my creative oats. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I, and I thank you for that. Well, th this is this is the kind of thing, man. That that I am happy to give it away because mm -hmm. I I enjoy doing it and I feel like that that we bring 
a few things to the table that some folks enjoy listening to. Yeah, man, that's that's the that's the reward for sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the artist first, and and we'll talk about kind of again what the goals are, and then what the pitfalls are as well. Because believe me, there are some pitfalls on this side of things also. So we've kind of outlined that this artist folk is the person that he puts the music and the art first. Almost everything else comes second. And I feel like a lot of times these guys uh, will kind of take the vow of poverty. Almost have to. Yeah, you almost have to. Although I am going to talk about one of the pitfalls of that here in a second. Uh, And, you know, they kind of go just head first into only taking gigs that satisfy that artistic craving and get the art in front of other people you won't really see these guys taking uh, the corporate gigs very much. No. Or if, if ever, really. Yeah, there's definitely a an aversion of that with them. And, you know, that's cool if you can do that. Um, I, I really don't have a problem with that at all, man. I, I, I think it's awesome. Well, that's, but, the pos- that's the positive side. Right. Yeah, of it right there. But. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, there's also, you know, oh, there's a lot of challenges with that. Let's get into that. Well, let me tell you what I think the, the biggest problem is. Have you ever met these guys that do that, mm-hmm. but then they have a tendency to get really dark? Now, there are some guys that do it and gleefully, you know, take that that artist vow of poverty, you know, right. because it's enough to do the music and to satisfy the artistic, you know, to scratch the artistic itch. But one of the problems I have with guys that get dark on this is some of those guys kind of have that weird mentality that, hey, I am I am putting forth this artistic notion and and I'm not getting the love or the respect from either the public or the rest of the community. And that could either be like the love of like, oh, hey, man, your music is great or I'm not getting paid. I'm not making enough money to do what I love to do. And I think that's a faulty mindset, man, for that. If 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 you're going to have that mindset of putting the art in front of it, you've got to realize, man, that just the actual artistic, the, the, the motions that you make to make that art and then put it out there, that's got to be the reward, and you got to know that coming out. If you do end up making money and you do get some critical or like commercial success or, or love out of the entire thing, man, that's the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that, you know, when you're talking about that dark vibe, like sometimes it manifests into some things that are unfair and that, you know, like denouncing anyone who do, does something different. That's kind of a common thread amongst a you know, percentage of the, the artists, if you will, like, oh, you know, you whores, you like play that crap and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they backbite the sellouts. Yeah, and that, that's 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 a slippery slope for two reasons. One is um, you know, sometimes there's just a guy who likes playing simple grooves and happens to fall into something where he makes a little money, it's all good. Sometimes you have someone that might not even have a choice. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like circumstances are such that they got to make money and they would love to be creative, but can't necessarily invest that time or sacrifice, you know? So that, that's, that's one of the, the downfalls of some people, but then, you know, I do know some guys that they complete, they were just really smart about it. Yeah. Like when you say that vow of poverty, well, they don't buy a car they can't afford or live in a neighborhood they can't mm-hmm. sustain, a, you know, financially with or, you know, like they're not going out to eat or, you know, all that. so there, there's some really guys that are really smart about it and happy and live and let live as well. And that's, a, that's kind of the ultimate. If I, if I, I kind of hope if I were to sacrifice like that, that I would end up just grateful that I get to do that, you know. I, I feel like you're talking about one of the guys that I'm thinking of that lives here in the city that for years, man, I mean, he walked the walk or he, yeah, and talked the talk and mm-hmm. walked the walk. I mean, he he was a straight-up artist. He has, since, he has since changed a little bit and has taken more commercial gigs. But, man, let me tell you, for a, the longest period of time, this guy, he was all about doing just what he wanted to do, playing the way he wanted to play, mm-hmm. volume be damned on either side, of yeah. it, you know, not just loud, you know, so don't think that. But, I mean, he was he was all about making art for art's sake and for his purpose of playing drums was to put his vision forward. So mad respect to that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't recall anyone ever saying he, you know, found fault with anybody else. He was just right. focused on his thing and yeah, and helped people as well, you know, great a- teacher. and Absolutely, man. That's good, man. I, I Yeah, mad respect for sure. Yeah, well... You know, that pitfall that we were talking about, about, you know, the 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 artist finding fault, so to speak, with, with other people, even the general public, that kind of thing. If I'm going to be honest about it, back during my time, back in the day when I was making my living, playing pretty much nothing but straight ahead jazz, which when I think about it, it just hit me right now. It's pretty amazing mm-hmm. in some ways that I did as well as I did for the longest period of time that I did. Uh, I came to a realization after I kind of left that world, the, that world full time and started doing a lot of other things that I came to that mindset that I sort of hinted at a few minutes ago that I'm all about, you know, taking artistic endeavors, whether it be this show or playing you know, artistic style gigs that I know that other people are not good. You know, I'm not going to be playing to thousands of people. I'm going to be playing to a small room of 20 Mm -hmm. because the thing that I realized is that if I do it really well, somewhere down the line, man, it is going to pay off. Somebody's going to pay me to do something. In other words, it's eventually, it's not all for naught. Just being able to do it is, is the reward and that's enough payment, but it's always, come around to me that somewhere down the road I get paid to do it. Interesting. Yeah, so I I feel like if I can pass that little bit of information along to somebody who might be struggling with that entire thing of like, man, I love playing jazz or freeform stuff or, or whatever, hang in there, do a great job, keep a great attitude, you will reap a benefit from it. I would, I would agree. I think 
I mean, certainly there's exceptions to the rule, but if you're if you're really committed, there, there's 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 going to be a place for you. And, and and you know, there's there's a different side of all that too. In that, like, I, in my case, I did an original project mm-hmm. for a number of years that it had nothing to do other than I believed in what we did, I loved what we wrote, and never expected to make a dime. And I mean, if you look at probably the course of the five or six years that I really was focused on that, you know, I probably lost money. Yeah. You know, not only did I invest money, but, you know, missing a gig that paid well to go do this, you know, and all. Um, But uh, it was, I I think I never got frustrated about that part of it at all. Other things, of course, you know, a personality or a commitment from other, you know, maybe came into play. But the money thing was like, eh. I I never, never, ever put that expectation on that. And it, that clearly made it more rewarding for mm-hmm. me to just be able to figure that out. And I'm talking about someone that came from always making money playing. Yeah. So, you know, you, you it's you, you put it, that that's that's a really important thing to to be aware of. Besides, you know, giving 110 percent and all that is is have real ex, realistic expectations of what it is you're trying to do. I think, man, that the underlying theme of that is is when you have real ex- realistic expectations, that means you're being honest with yourself. Right. And and I think that people who have the issues with the sellouts or having any kind of a mental issue with thinking that the public owes them something for this art that, that they're giving them, they're not being intellectually honest with themselves. I agree. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, if you want to be the next Ornette Coleman then be it, and that's good enough. Own it, yeah, and yeah. that's amazing. But, you know, you can't in good conscience think that you're going to be living like Bono anytime soon. You know, you know, man, on a smaller scale of that, how many people do you know, I know a ton, that decide, you know what, I'm going to throw down some cash and I'm going to write some songs, and I'm going to make an album. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take that album, and I'm going to sell that sucker. And then they get all dark and weird when they've sold six copies, and five of them are to their parents. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to give him a little bit of a break. That would make me pretty dark and weird. Yeah. But I mean, oh, I bought a thousand CDs yeah. and I have 964 left. That that that's frustrating. Yeah. It, it is frustrating, man. But in this day and age, physical copies of things, it, even for that much downloaded music that you record, it's it's now your it's officially your business card for touring. Yeah, that's true. I mean, almost nobody makes any money at all on records anymore. Nobody buys records. Almost nobody pays for downloads. And so I, 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 I can appreciate somebody throwing down thousands of dollars to record you know, their own music and whatnot, but I just feel like that the, the, if you're honest with yourself and if you have realistic expectations, you should go into it thinking, I'm never going to make that money back. And if you do, wow. It's gravy. It's, 
It's fantastic. But you have to use you have to use it as your calling card. Use it as your business card. This is what I use to get gigs. Most of the people that I know that have gone into it thinking that way almost just give it away. Like if they have physical copies, they'll take it to gigs and give it away on mm-hmm. gigs. And go, hey, if you like this, man, hire me at your club. Yeah, I know. We we played we played Bonnaroo one time, and we did exactly that. I bet we gave away 250 CDs, mm-hmm. and it really we benefited from it, you know, because it was it was just an investment, if you will. Yeah, and I think that's the way and, you should think of it. And that that was the first time we had done that. We were pretty close to the vest about our merch and our you know CDs, and we kind of loosened up a little bit and and uh we saw some reward from from that it was kind of this is this is before you know like this time now where you pretty much have to give it away yeah you know it was still kind of in that gray Mm -hmm. area and uh when we started being a little less stingy um we ended up really benefiting and i get it man like if you invest a lot of money and you're that committed to your thing, you have to in turn then be that committed to going out and mm-hmm. letting that product be the catalyst for your, you know, moving forward in touring or exposure. And a lot of times now in this day and age, you just have to accept that giving some of that away is going to be the, the path. Yeah. I mean, man, I cannot imagine, like, for example, this show, putting it behind a paywall. I, I just I just can't it imagine. Would just sit idle. Yeah. Yeah. I, granted, you know, our, the investment for this has been minimal compared right. to even doing, you know, an EP. I mean, you're talking about to do it right. Yeah. It's a lot of money, but I, don't, I just think, especially in a creative world and a creative setting, you kind of have to come to terms with that. So artists, take the vow of poverty. Gleefully be honest with yourself. The reward is already there. If anything else comes on top of it, then it's just gravy. You know, then you can move forward. And let consumerism be even less of an influence than, you know, your ego and all that you you have to keep in mind man like living lean mm-hmm. uh, and i i man I, i'm not one to to talk to that with any kind of expertise but i know that common sense says you know keep it keep it really together as far as not getting in debt and all that and that'll really help you to be uh you know freer to do and take opportunities yeah. So, you know, just something that kind of duh, but we all fall prey to that consumerism like it's it's really a difficult thing to to not let influence you in some way shape or form. You can't go anywhere without seeing it. Yeah. It's on TV, radio, internet, billboards when you drive down the road. Can't get away from it, man. We are a capitalist society to the max. True, true. Yeah. Well, boy, that's a perfect segue into the to our, we'll call him our businessman musician, or if we want to go PC, our business person 
musician. And don't take what we're going to say as being a negative on this guy. Because let me tell you, there certainly is the place to have this person either in a band. Sometimes they can actually be your, your best guy in a band, you know, especially if you're trying to get some commercial success because that that's where they're driven. Right. So the, this business person musician will kind of define this person as being a person who is extremely concerned about the commercial side, the financial side of things, and will really financial pre- gain financial gain sure. yeah and pretty much will do whatever it takes to get to the fame and or fortune side of stuff and we will say that the music will come secondary on that and again we're not talking down to that by any stretch of the means because there is a place for that um, and I'm going to go ahead and say right now that overall the majority of the time that kind of a mindset it's easier to to, to achieve your goal as far as like just making money as opposed to being the artist who has to satisfy himself and then still scratch out some kind of a meager living, mm-hmm. you know? So there's really just one main goal a lot of times for, for this kind of, this kind of a person. I, I'm not, I'm not terribly opposed to that mindset and that approach as long as it's done, you know, respectfully, it's, not where you know sadly some people that have that that singular focus can really end up you know stepping on a lot of toes and you know doing some quite frankly unethical things when you're talking about you know like one of that's a problem yeah. walking all over someone for a gig things like that but in of itself, you know, I've never been hung up on some guy that's like, man, I need to make money. I want to, I want to continue to make it. I'm going to do what I got to do and put myself in this position to do that. That's all good, man. I have encouraged students to go that route. Uh, having taught at like a, the collegiate level before, I've had a few applied students that just didn't practice the things that I assigned them, just didn't work on the schoolwork. And, you know, when you have that heart-to-heart talk with them and you sit there in that small room and you just go, man, what is it, you know, that you want to do? Because, you know, you're here in school and we've got these standards that you have to make these standards. You have to go through this and you have to practice this and you have to have your theory and ear training. And they go... I just want to make it with my band. I've had my band, you know, since I was in high school and, and we're all tight. We're this, we're this like brotherhood and, and we want to, we want to do good things and make music and make it big. And I'll just say, well, man, you need to be out there then trying to make it big. Right. Not practicing marimba pieces. That's exactly right. I mean, you don't necessarily need to be working on, you know, the Chapin book, if you're going to be playing blast beats and that's all you really want to do. So this is a very valid way to, you know, have your music career is to go out there and if you, and make, try to make your band popular, go out and try to make it big because every day that you're in school, hating life, that's one less day that you have of trying to make something out of it. Good point. Joel kind of talked about that a little bit. 
Who did? Joel Rosenblatt. He was talking oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. I just had to go, man. I didn't want to I didn't want to do these things that school required. I wanted to play. And that's something that you know, the, there's plenty of pressure from multiple sources when someone's young and deciding, you know, the path to take and school is always a viable option that usually is applauded by parents and the like. Yeah. But like you said, man, you know, if, if this is really what's up, then that's what go, you need to man. do. Yeah. Now let's talk just a second about the negative side of that. Cause we talked a little bit about the negative side of the starving artist and mm-hmm. the darkness that they can get a couple of things about the business person that, that is certainly a negative is one thing you touched on is about having that mindset of fame and fortune at all cost. We'll yeah. walk over whoever we have to do what we have to do to get from point A to point B, you know, that's a bad thing. And then the other thing is this is have you ever known anyone that's either been in a band or even an individual that they are such a slave to the trends of trying to make it mm-hmm. that without try without being true enough to themselves they jump on trend A you know that they're not necessarily loyal to or they're not necessarily even into they jump on this music trend ride it through it never happens and then all of a sudden trend the next trend comes and then they change over to that next new trend that they're really not into and it just never happens man they're they're never loyal enough to themselves to get to the point to where they can settle in and get some momentum going forward are you talking about a church <laughs> or a guy i have no comment Okay, I'm sorry that I had a little brain fart and got realistic there. Uh, yeah, that is, man, you know, I laugh about that with gear a lot. There's just guys that are slaves to what's hot and this and that and, you know, whatever is considered cool and they just keep going with it and spinning their wheels as far as maybe, you know, at, may, or I guess I should say at the expense of improving as a player. They're just wrapped up in this gear thing and what's cool and all that. And that really is a great point that guys do that with styles and trends musically as well. And it's like, man, that's just sort of, you know, trends are typically that. Yeah. You know, like really being authentic and and true to what you are, who you are and what you want to do in the long run is going to just bury chasing trends. Mm-hmm. And that goes for anything. You know, I mean, look at fashion. You know, we see pictures of ourselves from 1987 and we're like, oh my God, what was I doing? You know? Yeah. And, you know, musically that can happen as well. I mean, you think about hair bands or you think about, you know, a grunge band now, you know, like when Seattle stuff was so hot. And now you almost look at it like, ah, you know, you know that those kind of things are are truly uh, they can they can really come back to bite you. And I think th- that being mindful of trends isn't necessarily a bad thing. Incorporating some of it, yeah, isn't necessarily a bad thing. But full on, just 
embracing and, and worrying mm-hmm. about not being a part of a trend can really, really hurt you. Well, if if you go full force into a trend, you are guaranteed that you are going to, at, at a later time, be dated. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's just there's just no way around that. I mean, you know, we can sit here and talk about musical, you know, rock, pop, jazz, musical trends from the 50s all the way up until a few years ago. And, I mean, anything that you talk about, like if you talk about, like, for example, like the the 80s hard rock and metal dated, the 90s grunge thing is now dated, just yeah. like you said, it's it and it's passe almost yeah you know for that much you can even talk about like pop stuff like that that early 90s r&b stuff it's i mean you can point that out a mile away with the dated programmed sounds you know and that type stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah if you're a slave to the trends you're you're mc hammer pants there you go i used to own some side note and uh it's just guaranteed at a later time it's going to be dated let's go back to mc hammer pants real quick (laughs) What color were they? They were white. Wow. With a black belt. Man, that's just... I, I will go to the ends of the earth to find this picture. They're out there, my oh, friend. That's exciting. Yeah, I, I was I was in I, a, a band for a period of time, man, that had some label interest from uh, uh, a couple of different major labels, and, and we were slave to... <laughs> <laughs> you were a jazz guy, man. Verve, man. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, no, it was it's it was swerving with Verve. Yeah, it was a little pop band, a little right. pop rock band that that had a little bit of label interest. That you know, like all the other stuff at that time, it was caught. It was firmly caught between the hard rock stuff and the the grunge stuff, and those two eras basically wiped that band out. Yeah, yeah, I have I have some friends that went through that. They were kind of like yeah. on the tail end of the glammy yeah. hairband thing. And there's a lot of things that got wiped out when Nirvana came about. Pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you think about late 90s, the solo pop artist with R&B undertones was all the rage. They just got wiped off the face of the earth. And it was basically the nail in the coffin for the hair bands. Yeah. And uh, there's just, man, that's the price you pay, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to set a trend, do it like Maurice White did. (laughs) Make (laughs) such unbelievably, insanely good music that no matter what R&B does, you're in the game, you know? And very little of that sounds dated. Yeah, it's amazing. A lot of that stuff sounds fresh. Some some of the actual sounds that they use sounds a little sound a little bit dated, but for the most part, man, the the songwriting and the performance is so strong. The on playing some of that stuff. never yeah. sounds. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's fresh. I listened to All in All the other day, and it's yeah. just mind blowing how relevant it is, man. You know, you know what's kind of weird, and here we're jumping tracks and going going down the wormhole for a thing. second. Yeah, you know, if you listen to some, and I'm going to use the Miles Davis uh, lens on this. If you listen to some of that Miles Quintet stuff with Tony and Ron and Herbie and Wayne, mm-hmm. even to this day, super fresh, and people are still trying to trying to match that level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly. However, 
if you actually move forward and you get to the early fusion stuff, the bitches brew, the live evil, all that stuff, that stuff sounds dated. Isn't That's that weird? True. That is weird. I wonder if it's deep thoughts with Phil. Man, I don't. <laughs> that, you know, the groove thing, if you think about like rock and roll stuff, you know, I mean, until I'm trying to think who, you know, like stuff just really sounds dated because it was such a evolving thing. Yeah. You know, you get to bottom, uh, you know, maybe there's someone who kind of just smacks the whole, you know, dated, clearly, you know, evolving thing and on its ear he's in his own category you know there yeah and there's mm-hmm. a few there's some other guys there's there's some early purveyors of r&b drumming that have some really tight you know pretty well i mean maurice is a great example of that he was doing playing drum set in 1976 and yeah. it sounds fresh to this day there's definitely some people like that um but you know it's it's not I think some of that fusion, early fusion stuff, you're just talking about largely jazz players. So there's going to be a yeah. little of that kind of, you know, and we'll iffy call- thing in there. Like, think about a really good straight head player, you know. If right. they were on a gig like our corporate gig, it might not be that great, you know. That's true. And, you know, the other part of that is that these jazz players playing this groove-oriented fusion-style stuff were playing on we'll just call them archaic electric instruments at that time Mm -hmm. as well. And and those in themselves sound dated. Yeah, that's true. You know, so you got a combination of things that kind of make it sound that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the pass I always give anything like that regarding the sound or even the approach of it is you're, you're talking about, in my opinion, the true essence of jazz, which is searching. Yeah. Which Miles was the king of, you know, like I'm done with that, man. It, it, I'm moving forward, and so I always have a that lens on anything from that period of time that it's kind of like, man, these guys are searching, yeah. And there's so much, I have so much respect for that that anything else kind of just sort of takes a back seat, yeah. You know, whereas if you hear a, a really dated pop track, you're kind of like, you know, right. it is what it is. But they're not trying to move forward, you know. Yeah, I think we look at that through a commercial lens. Right, right. You know. So there, I, I always have a little bit of a, a I'm not going to say forgiveness, but just a, a I don't know, I, I I, I just view that whole thing differently, so I'm not being as judgmental in the the true sense of approach and sound, I guess. Well, th- because they, musically, it's yeah, they were definitely the Lewis and Clark of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, they're forging out into the great unknown. True. They didn't have to worry about getting eaten by bears or whatnot, but still. And the, then you could still go into this. Yeah. You know, like you know, do you like Cobham or Lenny and the busy fusion stuff if mm-hmm. you don't that's cool I, I'm not crazy about it personally but 
I respect it to no end on a million levels. I have to listen to it primarily thinking in terms of like atmospheric kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that, man. That, yeah, because the, the, I mean, there's the, no, there's no compositions really in a lot. I mean, there's some compositions in it, but a lot of times the, that early stuff is just, hey, let's get on a vamp and go. Blaze, yeah, you know? that's true. Sadly, there's still some people trying to do that in an inappropriate <laughs> setting. <laughs> well, John, to put a little bow on this thing, I want to end up talking about the blended musician. Ah, oh, that guy. And this is probably going to speak more to the artist guy than the business person guy. Because what I mean by this blended artist is this is the person that can successfully take commercial style or money gigs and then kind of superimpose some type of artistic credibility over top of it and have and get satisfaction from it. That doesn't just mean in playing gigs also, but possibly even in teaching, session work, that type thing as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something that has worked for me. Um I think anybody who is inherently an artistic person who really likes things that are a tad bit esoteric or out of the norm, when you do, when you do come to the realization, hey, I've got to make a living, I've got to be happy making a living as well as scratching this artistic itch, there's going to be times that you're going to be in musical situations that you either get bored with the music that you're playing or you just don't like the music that you're playing. And something that has served me really well is I try to find some type of subtlety in that music that will spark my interest or curiosity and kind of shape it toward the artistic side. Whether it be like, for example, if I'm playing like a, a rock or pop gig and I'm playing, again, music that I don't particularly like or say that it's music that, I don't, that I'm kind of bored with, I've played it a whole bunch, I try to find some kind of nuance inside of that thing that sparks my interest. Like, say I've been playing a song for five years with this one band. It's a cover song. And then I hear it on the radio, and then I will notice something that I just I haven't been playing. You know, it's some little subtlety. It's just a minor thing that nobody notices except for me. Sometimes being able to add that bit of nuance into that song is a really kind of a hip artistic thing. It could also be something like, I've recorded the gig that I played and I listen back to it and I'm thinking, you know, this song's going to sound better if I go to the chorus and jump it up on the front edge of the beat a little bit. S- little subtle things like that. It that that really helps me scratch the old artistic itch. I can dig that. Yeah. I have I've had little weird mind tricks that I do like one you know, like I sometimes I just be like Oh, this groove is like, you know, real similar to that song that I love from blah blah, and just kind of take it like like it might just be lyrically some just stupid song that's annoying me to no end, but I'm like oh, but that groove's like such and such, you know, and I and so I just kind of like get my head into that, like just think about playing that pocket, you know, and just nailing it. And something like, you know, along those lines, just weird, stupid mind tricks mm-hmm. like that. I went through a really weird phase when Picaro died. You know, he was such a big influence on me 
that I was doing a house gig and we were doing a ton of just fluff pop stuff, you know, like, cause we, would, on that particular gig, it was a house gig. We would, we would learn a lot, you know, five or six tunes a week. So you're doing a lot of stuff that turned over quick and all that. And like, ah, but, but I went through a weird phase for about a year where I was like, man, he, you know, I, I got to play my butt off cause he's going to be looking down on me and like, why are you sucking? That's, that's interesting. You know? And then I had another yeah. friend pass away that I'd, a few years later, and I was kind of the same. Like, man, he's gonna be he's gonna be watching me, thinking, "You're you're a jerk, man. You're just over there, giving seventy percent." And it's like, you find what you can do to to make. And that, that's just really bizarre to say, but it's true, man. Sometimes we have to do what we got to do to get through something, you know. Mm-hmm. I've had to do. I've had. I've had. I'm in a season right now in my life where I got to do what I got to do. Yeah, I have responsibilities I can't shake. So even if I want to be artistic, you know, it might not lend to it right now. Life is life; it gets in the way sometimes of that. But finding ways to, you know, I'm lucky to play with my best friend. He's a bass player. That that makes a what could be a mind-numbingly, you know, boring gig or phoning in gig and I'm like no man I'm gonna bring it with this guy I'm blessed to have him and it's really good yeah so you know always remind myself of that stuff like that is important but this blended thing my experience is it's always good to have a balance if you can do it you know just Having an outlet, if it's a if it's a jazz trio gig you do once a week, or if it's a an original project that you take time out to to you know write some stuff if you can, and you know it might not be every you know it might not be your focus, but having that balance that's that's what saved me. I think about the happiest times in my life, playing wise. I had I might have had a couple really nice paying gigs, but I always had something else. You know, a creative outlet that really, really made a huge difference. And you know, sessions. When I when I had a I had a nice run of five or six years where I was doing a lot of session stuff, and it was that helped a great deal because there were creative elements to that. You know, you're coming up with parts, you're mm-hmm. you know, sounds. You know, I'm obsessed with sounds and trying to find the right thing and all that so there's that balance man i can't stress that enough being the blended guy yeah you know always try to have that balance i had a teacher that also scratched a bit of the artistic itch by doing calligraphy Hmm. on the side so oh it could be yeah it doesn't have to be musically doesn't have to be music either yeah we know friends that paint and friends that you know do all kinds of stuff that have that have their outlet, mm-hmm. but 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 it again comes back to that balance though. Yeah, absolutely. And to speak over to the artist side again, the starving artist, we did a podcast. It was several months ago that talked about like different streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. If you're 
in that category of the starving artist, go back and listen to that one because we give you some good little tips on the side that in, that involve music, of course, and involve you know artistic endeavor, and it's it's all the things that you would probably think of plus some more. You know, we talk about teaching, we talk about doing clinics, we talk about uh, things like. Uh, copying music, arranging, that right. sort of stuff. All kinds of stuff. You could certainly find artistic gratification in that kind of thing as well. And then drive Uber. <laughs> we got I know a few musicians doing that now. Turn you know, it's when you can do it. Yeah. What do you know? And then one other thing I just thought of this also is that we talked about on a previous show your mindset sort towards the entire aspect of being a musician is what makes you love it. Mm-hmm. You don't you love the whole package. You don't necessarily have to love every single aspect of it. And I think a lot of times, man, we have a tendency to dwell on that. Oh man, I hate doing this. Man. Oh, question. You know, and, and that's fine. Guilty. Yeah. And and I and you've got to realize that that's fine. I don't think that there's any profession in the world that everybody loves every single thing about it no you know i mean you know you we sit here and we watch these world-class football players and athletes out there that make you know 15 million dollars a year or more and you think man their life is just gravy well i don't think that they like watching every spoonful of food they have to put in their mouth and they probably don't like getting up at four o'clock in the morning you know to to do two a days you know, that kind of thing. So it's well, I mean, closer to home, you know, you musicians, oh, it's downtime. You know, everybody <laughs> dreams of, everybody dreams of, you know, hey, man, like I'm being on the road. And, I, yeah. and you know, there's, I got friends that are on the road and they're just like, all they pissing and moaning about, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do this afternoon. I'm just bored. And, or, you know, there's the, the other end of it is, uh, you know, you have guys who, are complaining about you know their this this aspect of their gig you know that oh man man my my monitor man he just doesn't have it together but but it's like you know it's always mm-hmm. there's always going to be some of that I think we're just especially as creatives man we just kind of are almost prone to brood in some in some way shape or form. Yeah, and you, you know, trying to find that, trying to find some peace in that. Football players love Sunday afternoon. They might not like Wednesday through Friday. Yeah, because it's grueling and brutal. But they also like that check. So there's there's a perfect example of embracing the whole. Yeah. All right. We talked John. about sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers. Yeah. Well, man, let's go ahead and... and Speaking of, hold on. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Oh, I know where this is going. Go. We got the locals in the big (laughs) to-do. John, that's That's all I got. That's cryptic, man. That's very cryptic. That's what it was supposed to be. Do your homework. Yeah. Like you have to. And we will recap next week. Yeah, we will. Yeah. I, I'm hoping it'll be for good reasons. Uh, my money's on is on the locals. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 
John, we're going to do... Kennesaw State <laughs> versus Berkeley. <laughs> Bring it. John, let's do our ending segment of the day. We're going to each name a great drum track. Yes. Always fun. I love this. You want to go first? Yeah. Do it, man. I ain't saying much about this. Except every time I hear it, every time, yeah. the hair stands up on the back of my neck, and I just forget two things. One, how amazing of a drummer it is, and as you pointed out earlier, the influence of another amazing drummer is clearly mm -hmm. in this guy's playing. Uh, my song today is Manic Depression, mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix tune with the amazing mitch mitchell and this track is the one where he's just flat out bringing it more than any other track he does it's just like going going for it playing heady mm -hmm. incredibly complex stuff it feels like a million bucks and as we agreed earlier it kind of there's this thing in the back of your head like is he gonna send elvin some money Mm-hmm. Got that rolling triplet thing happening there. Yeah. Man. So, man, that's it. I mean, we've all heard it. Maybe some of the younger guys haven't, but you should. That track just haunts me, man, as in all the right ways. It's so incredible. I love it. Love it. Thank you, Mitch. Super aggressive, but there's a ton of subtlety in there, too, man. Yeah. He has, he's got a lot to offer. That guy's a great player. Yeah. Good call, brother. Thanks, man. Well... I'm going to hair lip the Pope again, man. I'm picking a rock track. <gasps> you sell out. <laughs> man, I'm trying to find some There's no art in that. In this. <laughs> you, you're this is, letting down the creatives of the world. This is, this is two segments in a row, man, where I've gone the rock and roll route. I had Bobby Chouinard for my great underappreciated uh, drummer. And then this week for my great underappreciated drum track. I'm going to go with a little old band out of New York City called Interpol. Uh, a drummer named Sam Fargarino, who, it's my understanding, is actually living in He's Athens. He's our neighbor. He's our neighbor, yeah, it's my understanding. Right down the road. And the track I want everybody to check out this week is an early track by this band. I guess it's the early 2000s, maybe like 2003 or so. It's called Obstacle One. And, man, this thing is just... It's incredibly creative, and there's a ton of subtleties in this as well. Um, if you're not familiar with this band, Interpol, you need to check them out because they were part of that uh, late 90s, early 2000s New York City rock and roll renaissance. Those guys, Interpol, along with um, The Strokes, mm -hmm. And there was a band up there called Rapture. I'm pretty sure that was the name of the band, the Rapture. There were a handful of bands that got just a lot of play. A lot oh, of yeah, Blondie. Yeah, Blondie. man. <laughs> they were late 90s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Interpol is sort of this, uh, we'll call them kind of like a slick, new wave, avant-garde-ish sort of group is what it is. Um this song that we're going that I'm talking about today, Obstacle One, is almost kind of a 
through composed kind of a thing where the drum parts that that Sam does throughout this song, man, are brilliant in how he kind of changes the vibe and feel up from from section to section as it moves through the song and builds through the song. Some kind of interesting drum part, real some also very creative, unorthodox drum parts all the way through. Love it. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that if you put a close ear to it, you can listen to it and appreciate it. But do this also. Put that track on and try to play to it. Man, it'll it'll tie you up in knots, man. There's so many strange and interesting and cool things he does throughout the song. And uh, just that band in general, it, it, the way that he approaches the drums in this song is just perfect for that band. And it, it, To me, that entire band is based on that singer's voice. And again, you need to go and listen to it to see what I'm talking about. And then the way the drummer kind of frames the vibe and the groove around that band. It just, it's the entire group. So make sure you go check it out. And here's your tip of the day also. Make sure that if you go on YouTube, and, and you know what, I'll, I'll put a link on our, on our YouTube page. Look at the official video. Man, it is one of the hippest videos you will ever see. It looks like it was shot in like the late 60s, early 70s inside like KGB headquarters. Nice. Oh, it's yeah, it's got a real retro kind of a crazy looking vibe. And it's got, uh, it was directed by Floria Sigismondi, who I'm really into her stuff. And she actually makes a appearance in the video. It's crazy sexy stuff. I'm going off on another. I'm finding nuance. You pretentious bastard. Again, I'm finding nuance. Disgusting. In this. So anyway, that's all this. That's my call. Interpol, obstacle one, drums by Sam Fogarino. Cool, man. Run with it. I'd be remiss if I didn't say I love you, Clem Burke. He's a great player, man. Great. That dude is. Awesome. He's like the East Coast Bunny Carlos or something, maybe. You know, like rock and roll to the core. Man, I dig that. That's that's very good. I've never heard that comparison. I don't know if that's a great comparison, but I, I kind of lumped them together in that just owning who they are and doing it exceptionally well. You notice, man, we, we seem to have a great love for East Coast drummers. I don't know, man. As soon as you say that, we can mention like well, you got Keltner and Picaro yeah. and Carlos Vega and, yeah. you know, James Gadsden and is like so. Uh, we, we maybe we just need it. But if you look at all the tracks and the drummers, it seems like almost every one of them. There's okay. going to be some protests. I can feel it. Like you guys are so right coast. <laughs> You're so right coast, man. <laughs> We're going to protest. Protest is like the new thing. So I'm going to see some guys walking around with snare drums on their head made. By D.W. Oh, shit. Oh, this, <laughs> this is really going down a weird path now. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> you can edit it out if you want. I don't, care. Uh, I don't even know how to edit it out, man. We're going to stay true. You know, we used to think, hey, we're being true to our roots. We don't do any edit. It's not that. It's just I don't even know how to edit this stuff. That's why we just. Ah, that's good. You, you need a loose there. cannon like me, man. Yeah. Someone told me we we're supposed to be like. What was that 
Dr. Drew and Adam. Like, oh, the the Love Line show? You're like the rational guy, and I just go off the wall and rent and stuff. So maybe maybe it'll morph into that at some point. Yeah. And then you'll learn to edit. That's why <laughs> you love that because he's you're the guy that went off and made all the money. <laughs> so well, anyway, guys, thanks for listening. We had a great time today as usual. Thanks for uh, tuning in every Monday. You can always find us on uh, iTunes, Google Play Podcast, Stitcher, Podbean, any of your favorite podcast apps. If you can't find us, you're having trouble finding us, reach out to us. You can email us at drummersweekgroovecast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast or you can tweet us at twitter.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. Tell us you're having trouble finding us. We will hook you up. And as always, we love hearing from you. So if you want to drop us a quick line, tell us how much you love us. Tell us if you got some show ideas. Tell us to shut up about sports, whatever. We appreciate it. But until next Monday, don't forget, I love West Coast drummers. (laughs) John is already modifying DW snare drum for his new hat. No, I'm not. But I love West Coast drummers. A lot. We'll see you next Monday. I wanted to be one. Bye. Bye.